the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to the CUSA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Joe Londrigan and Eric Henry back with you once again. In keeping with what we've been doing the last few weeks, uh, we're going team by team and doing a deep dive into CUSA football with some experts from around the CUSA Twitter sphere. Our guest today is Mr. Luis Torres. He's the Middle Tennessee State beat writer for the Daily News Journal in beautiful Rutherford County, Tennessee. You can find him at Twitter or on Twitter at L-F-T-O-R-R-E-S-I-I-I. Thank you so much for coming on to talk about Blue Raider football today, bud. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the invite. Yeah, of course. Uh, Eric, I understand you guys uh, know each other just from the uh, beat writer space a little bit. Yeah, actually, just from the Twitter birth, you know, just uh, doing the jumping on with the FIU beat, just decided to follow some uh, Conference USA's beat writers, and Luis happened to follow me back, and I happened to like some of this stuff, you know, he's, he does a really good job there, so just kind of struck the relationship from there, and I was like, hey, let's, uh, you know, give him a DM, see if he's willing to come on the show, and here we are today, so once again, appreciate it, man. No problem. A real modern bromance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, through Twitter, social media. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, of course. So just diving right into it, uh, Blue Raiders, of course, coming off another uh, bowl-worthy season. However, this one, of course, Mr. Brent Stockstill's last year in Murfreesboro. A lot of questions surrounding uh, what they're going to do on offense now that he's gone. So, Luis, what is – MTSU's quarterback situation now in the post Brent Stockstill world. It's interesting, that's for sure. Uh, I think that's the word um, I'll tell everybody. Um, it's kind of interesting and fluid right now. I mean, the quarterback uh, uh, with Brent leaving. I mean, he was here basically six years. He already he picked up a master's degree uh, in the process. I mean, he leaves here. He left here as the program's uh, best quarterback ever. Um, arguably, I mean, he set up so many records. But right now, I mean, you have two guys currently. I think they're going to be battling it out. Um, probably three guys in spring uh, in spring ball, which starts uh, in a few weeks here. Asher O'Hara, who uh, some people uh, follow MTSU football might be a little bit familiar with, uh, when Brent Stockwell got hurt uh, against uh, FIU um, early in the second quarter. Uh, actually, on the first play of the second quarter, Asher O'Hara kind of stepped in uh, for him. He kind of showed off what he's kind of capable of. Capable of um, a little bit more of a runner um, in Tony Franklin's office. Not, not as of accomplished of a passer as Brent Stockstill is. And, I mean, Brent Stockstill, I mean, that was a better and better man. I could, could, uh, could sling it, that's for sure. Asher O'Hara, more of a runner. He ran, he rushed for about 85 yards that game. I think it was 9 of 20 passing. So, not there. And he kind of – the offense kind of got limited as FIU made adjustments towards the end. And, and that's how FIU kind of uh, kind of took over there. Um, another guy you might want to look out for is uh, Chance Nolan who uh, redshirted this past year. He threw for 9,000 yards and 104 touchdowns in high school. I think he'll be in the mix. Another guy is uh, Chase Cunningham, who kind of got some some fill, some spot duty work um, towards the end of games. Uh, he'd normally come in and kind of kneel the clock or kind of kill the kill the game off in the last minute, minute and a half, and dip uh, Brent, Brent Stock's little breather. Uh, another one, and I think it's the most interesting um, – uh, quarterback uh, who will be coming in in the summer is this kid named Randall Johnson. He's our JUCO signee out of California. Six foot five, two hundred and thirty-five pounds. Big kid, big arm, pretty athletic. Um, I think uh, a lot of the fan base is probably expecting him at some point to be the starting quarterback in 2019. Now, I don't think uh, it just also depends on 
how quickly he comes in and picks up the, the play, Tony Franklin's playbook in the offense. Um, and also the opening game, I don't know if you guys saw, it's at Michigan uh, at the big house. So I don't think they want to throw in uh, somebody who doesn't have any experience at, at Division One. Uh, the division one level, so it might be uh, you might be looking at Ash O'Hara as right now the front runner heading into the spring ball. Interesting. Hey, really quick, sorry, Coach Jeff. I just want to jump in and ask one quick question there for you. Uh, continue. Um, I actually had a chance to see Ash O'Hara pretty uh, up close because I went to graduate school up in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And he's from the Chicago suburbs out in Rolling Meadows. Uh, is it essentially going to come down between him and Randall Johnson? With O'Hara, like you mentioned, he does a great job using his legs, and you did see that in the game against FIU. But is there any chance that he can kind of? For better or worse, people who haven't seen him play, he's kind of a poor man's Brent uh, Stockstill in the sense that he is a runner. And while he's not as accomplished a passer that Stockstill is, he does he, – he can get the ball out of his hands quickly. Um, is it essentially going to come down to O'Hara and Johnson? I think it is. Um, I haven't really – didn't get a chance to see a lot of Chance Nolan uh, this past year because I came in after um, – because he was red, he was redshirted. Um, practices are pretty much closed. Um, over here, but I think it is going to come down to um, O'Hara and um, Randall Johnson. Uh, I think the key for Randall, I mean, Randall's got the size, six foot five, two thirty five, that you want, and he's a kind of a runner as well. But Asher, uh, like you've mentioned, uh, he played at college with DuPage and actually put up him pretty good, pretty good numbers there. I think if he makes strides in the passing game um, in the spring and in the fall, I think he's going to be your favorite. But it, I think it is going to be come down to. Um, O'Hara and Johnson for that. Who's going to be the guy? Now, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know how the coaching staff feels about this. I think it's going to be O'Hara. Is, uh, it's going to be the quarterback uh, uh, at Michigan start, um, and then we'll see how Randall Johnson kind of comes in. Remember, with the new redshirt rule, um, Johnson could play four games and still uh, take a redshirt, which could be a possibility. Um, O'Hara only played in, I think, uh, one game. He only came in at um, FIU, so I'm pretty sure he also took a red shirt as well. So I think it just depends on how much of, uh, how much stride, uh, what, what kind of strides he makes in the in the passing game um, here in the spring coming up and then in the summer and the fall. Sorry about that, Joe. I'll let you jump back in. No, you're good. I was just going to say, from what you're describing, sounds like that quarterback room is a little crowded, and that seems to be the theme in Conference USA right now. If you look at like Western and you look at Charlotte, there's a lot of teams who don't really seem to know what their immediate future holds at quarterback, and it seems like MTSU has kind of fallen into the same boat. Mm-hmm. A little bit, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of turnover this past year with a lot of uh, pretty solid quarterbacks that are graduating and leaving. For sure. And of course, uh, if you're just jumping into the show, we're talking about uh, Brent Stockstill and what MTSU's future at quarterback holds. Uh, Brent's father, of course, the head coach for the Blue Raiders. Now that his son's gone, Lewis, what do you think uh, the future holds at head coach for MTSU? How much does Rick Stockstill realistically have left in the tank here? I think there was a lot of people probably in the fan base and probably outside who kind of look and say, hey, it kind of sets up for uh, – Rick and Brent to kind of right off in the sunset together because it's going to be Brent's last year. Um, I never got any indication of that at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking to a number of people before that and talking to Rick as well. I mean, he's still passionate about coaching. He still cares. And I think that's what kind of is the most important thing to him. 
Um, and I think he does have a couple of years left in the tank. Um, that's just my opinion. I think he's, uh, he's 61 now. Uh, so he's getting up there in age, but uh, he doesn't act like it around uh, if you uh, outside the press conferences. I mean, he's a you know, he's a kind of a different guy, um, a lot of energy, and he's still passionate about coaching. He still cares, and I think if one day or one year he wakes up and doesn't really doesn't have that passion or he doesn't care um, as much as he does every every day, I think that's when he'll kind of start. Uh, he'll kind of say it's time to kind of hang things up. But I think he still has a couple of years left in him. Um, I think uh, he kind of wants to see how as, as long as he keeps these uh, coordinators here uh, in Tony Franklin, offensive coordinator Tony Franklin, defense coordinator Scott Schaefer, I think as long as those guys stick around, I think um, uh, Rick Stocks is going to keep uh, keep plugging along and um, still coach uh, probably for a, number, a couple more years. Speaking of, uh, of Rick's temperament, as someone who was around the program as frequently as you were, um, what was his working relationship with his son like? How did that kind of, uh, you know, how did that kind of come off to you? Uh, you know, it's funny is um, I did a number of stories for the season, and mm-hmm. uh, one of the first things uh, we did, and um, we watched film together. It was me, uh, him, uh, me, Rick, uh, Brent, and our videographer, and they said this is the first time we've ever done this. Um, Rick typically stayed away from, he's like, he's going to, he's going to let Tony Franklin and the quarterback and the quarterbacks kind of dictate and plan with each other. Rick kind of stayed away on that. He didn't want to kind of jump in. He kind of didn't think it was going to be fair to Tony Franklin. Um, their relationship was like any father or son, um, any coach's son. I mean, they're each other's best friends. And I thought it was kind of surprising to me when we sat down and kind of looked at a video from the 2016 uh, MTSU Missouri game where MTSU went on the road and beat Missouri in a shootout, um, crazy game. And then we also watched film of Rick and when this Florida State days in the 1980s when they played at Ohio State. And like, this is the first time we've actually ever done this. And that was kind of that kind of caught me by surprise because you figured out and these two guys probably text each other or watch film and break things down, but they're like, no. Um, he kind of lets uh, Brown was like he kind of lets me do my thing and I let him do his thing. He never wanted to be getting between any of the coordinators or the quarterbacks coaches while he was while he was here. So I mean that relationship you can tell they're they're super close and um, they're each other's best friends. I mean that's certainly great to hear that they were so close, but that is that, I guess that's a little surprising just uh, not having a, that kind of relationship with my dad or whatever that he would just kind of let him do his own thing, especially when it's like, it's his team, it's his baby. I think, that's, mm-hmm. I think that's super interesting. Yeah, um, it was and it, like when I brought up the idea of this and I was like, yeah, we never done this. It's like, seriously. He's like, yeah, it's just, um, he's like, I had to do my thing. I let Brent and uh, the offensive coordinator do his thing. And yeah, just kind of go by, uh, and do that. And so, like you said, a uh, pretty interesting, pretty surprising. He caught me off guard. That's cool. Uh, but looking back on the 2018 season, going into it, I think Eric and I both just really didn't see uh, too much to be that optimistic about with this team. But obviously, they they ended up coming away with something in getting back to a bowl game. What do you think your biggest takeaways from how the 2018 season went are? I think uh, the biggest one is uh, Brent Stocks actually staying healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think... Um, I don't know about you, Eric, but I think if Brent doesn't go down in that game against FIU, I think MTSU kind of pulls that one out, kind of how the game kind of went and how the FIU kind of started figuring out, all right, Astro O'Hara can't do this. Let's start making adjustments late in the game to kind of make these comebacks. I mean, that game was kind of – 
there was only I think MTC only had like six or seven drives in that game because the drives were so long. But I think just Brent staying healthy was just a, a product. I figured if Brent could stay healthy all year, they have a chance to probably win seven or eight games and kind of be a dark horse in the Eastern Division. But of course, things fell their way. Uh, Western was uh, had a down year. Um, um, it'll be uh, FAU. Um, FAU was uh, uh, everybody was, was the the dandy. I mean, and the the pick to repeat as Conference USA champions. I mean, they went five and seven. They had a, they regressed in Lane Kiffin's another year under Lane Kiffin. They went to Marshall and beat Marshall. And these are all because Brent stayed healthy. And I think that was the biggest takeaway. I mean, the defense played um, on a year two under defense corner Scott Schaefer. Um, created more takeaways this year. They were uh, they were more improved, um, especially in conference play. I mean, they played three Power Five teams um, again uh, last year. Basically, <laughs> playing a de facto SEC East schedule. They had they opened the season against Vanderbilt. They went to Georgia two weeks later, and then late in the year they played at Kentucky. Um, so if you take out those numbers that kind of went in those games, the defense was really really good under Scott Schaefer year two. And I think that was the big, of course, the biggest thing. I mean, everybody knows Brent staying healthy. I know the guys kind of step up. I know we'll, we'll talk about the running backs and Chatel Mobley kind of um, emerged um, as a retro freshman. Patrick Smith was really good at the beginning of the year. Ty Lee had another solid year. Zach Dobson, another uh, a kid who was electrifying, electrifying any time he touched the ball. Um, he kind of just held your breath because there's a chance he was going to score. But of course, it's just Brent Stockson staying healthy. That was the biggest key. And I figured. Like I mentioned earlier, if he would have stayed healthy, um, they were going to be a dark horse in the East, and they ended up winning the East. Luis, it's funny that you mentioned the FIU game because I actually agree with you, and that's somewhat of a touchy topic down here between FIU and FAU fans. A lot of FAU fans tend to give the uh, the Panther faithful a hard time, saying that hey, you guys didn't necessarily beat any of the top tier teams, and the game or the team that you technically could say you beat or you did beat in Middle Tennessee State that was without Brent Foxville. That was the one game, FIU game, that I missed. I, I had surgery and I wasn't able to make it to the stadium, but I had to watch it from you know from my home on TV. And being away from the stadium, there are certain things that you can see and, and that you can't necessarily in the flow of the game in the press box. And Luis, I agree with you 100. percent You know, it really felt like momentum was you know, with the Blue Raiders. And not only did they lose Brent Stockwell, uh, which Javante Moffett, correct, was was yep. ejected from the game, right, with targeting as well as they lost Brian Anderson, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah, right. Brian so, Anderson out for the year um, with a broken, uh, I think it was a broken, uh, broken leg. Broken, uh, something like that, yeah. Yeah, uh, Javante Moffett got ejected in the second half. I think it was late third, early fourth. I'm trying to remember. And yeah, it's I, kind I think of... Mm-hmm. It's kind of things that just didn't go their way. I mean, if Brent stays healthy, I think they ended up winning that game and they didn't have to wait um, for um, it was a Marshall to be FIU to clinch the East Division. Yeah, exactly. So, like I said, I'm right there with you as far as that that FIU game goes. And O'Hara, you know, he's a guy who you give him credit because he played his guts out that game, but he went nine of twenty, if my memory serves me correct, passing through the year. Mm-hmm. Had about eighty five yards on the ground, but you know, wasn't the, the threat through the air that Stocksville was. But you mentioned uh, Shaton Mobley, and, and that's someone who I, I just found very curious. That you know, he, if my memory serves me correct, was a linebacker coming into the he program. Was. He was, yeah. Yeah, and then switched over to playing running back and had a nice season with about 620 yards. Just talk about his emergence and what he brings to the table as a runner. You talk about a guy who is downhill, 
quick feet. Not uh, uh, not he's not going to run away from you all, all the time. I mean, I mean he doesn't have that four 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 five speed, but he's just a bruiser, man. Um, he did come in as a, he did come in as a linebacker. And what's funny is uh, Rick went up to him and said, "Hey, we want to move you um, to running back." And within some of the first, I think it might have been that first practice or the second practice, he actually got hurt and was redshirted. And he kind of came in and he's kind of flying under the radar. He kind of had Brad Anderson, uh, Terrell West, Tavares Thomas. We all thought, all right, um, tomorrow, those three guys are going to be your, your cowbells. And all of a sudden, injuries happen. And then you have this kid who's just thick, strong lower base. And he just starts uh, picking up chunks of yards. Like, who is this kid? And he, I asked him. It was the second game of the year and against UT Martin because Tavares Thomas was held out with an injury at that game. And he kind of started playing, um, got some carries. He got hurt in the Georgia game the following week and was out for a few weeks. But he's just such a big kid downhill. Um, and he's going to be really, he's going to be a retro sophomore. So he's really going to be a building block for this team for a number of years um, because they're probably, they're going to be looking a lot different on offense, but you talk about a guy who can run between the tackles and it's just, he's hard to take down. I mean, you start, you start going to the third and fourth where you kind of run, uh, if you have a lead, you want to run the ball. The defenders don't want to ta- kind of tackle a guy who's coming at you at 220 pounds, 230 pounds with, uh, how strong he is. So he's going to be a building block. He's, he's also a fantastic kid. Comes from his mom, did a great job in raising him. He's he's just a fantastic kid. He's actually from uh, Knoxville, and I went to Fulton High School. Uh, was MVP of the state championship game. I think it was his junior year at linebacker. Um, he had double-digit tackles, uh, defensive MVP. So he's going to be a building block for this, for this team for the next couple of years. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You talk about building blocks, and like you said, you know there was some turnover this year with losing Brent Stockville and, and, and a certain amount of players from the team. You just kind of give a quick overview. You mentioned Randall Johnson earlier, but outside of that, just kind of a quick overview of MTSU's recruiting class and how they did uh, heading to 2019. The things they really prioritized was speed, um, and they got some guys who can absolutely, who are uh, roadrunners, basically. Uh, and there's a kid um, uh, named G- TJ, uh, DJ uh, Chisholm. Um, I think he's from uh, Mox Corner in South Carolina or uh, somewhere around that area. And he is a guy who I think he was a 10, four, a 10, 500 meter guy. Absolutely like bar speed. I think uh, Rick Stockwell said he was the fastest guy they've ever recruited. And that's saying something because Zach Dobson's pretty fast. And I thought Zach Dobson was one of the fastest guys in conference USA last year. And they're saying DJ, DJ Chisholm was a little bit quicker, a little bit faster than him, about the same size, not the biggest guy. I think he's 5'7", five, 5'8", five, um, but a wide receiver. They're, and they're going to get the ball in his hands. Another guy they kind of recruited, a Juco uh, running back named Jay, uh, Jay McDonald. Uh, Brad Anderson is what comes to mind um, well, with him. Um, guy who will be used in a number of ways, kind of in the same size, same build, 5'9", 180, probably a little bit more than that. But he'll – 
he'll be kind of used in that same Brad Anderson type of way, H back, running back, just trying to get the ball in, in space because he's also got some speed. Um, they also fill some holes on the offensive line. They had to re- they have to replace three stars on the offensive line this year as well, um, and they kind of went out and that was a kind of a priority. Um, I think they signed four four guys um, on the offensive line, which uh, they were pretty happy about. And then they they signed this kid um, named Darius Juju Williams, and by the end of twenty four seven, not their composite, but twenty four seven actually much to a four star, um, probably the highest rated kid they've ever had. He's actually uh, on the number 300 player in the country by 24-7. And I was actually reading that. I was like, this is interesting. He's a defensive end. Um, and 24-7, actually, when they bumped him up, it's like, we think this kid is a pro. Uh, they think he's going to come in here and actually make some noise and probably has a, a future in the NFL, which um, kind of says surprise. Uh, kind of is like, all right. Uh, you rarely ever see these Conference USA teams kind of get these guys for <laughs> um, uh, four stars. Um, but, yeah, he's a, a kid that – I think uh, the staff is really excited about, I mean, the staff is excited about uh, the class as a whole. I mean, they went after defensive linemen. I mean, excuse me, um, cornerbacks, long athletic corners. I mean, Salma, Georgia, Georgia had all these five stars and they rotated them with five stars at corner six, two, six, three with long, uh, long arms that can cover receivers because that's how the game, uh, the game is being moved to now. So they signed a lot of those guys that they wanted, but overall, I think, uh, they're as, are as happy as this class as they've ever had. Um, Rick Sox has had here. Before we move on to next year, let's talk about something that actually just broke today. I'm looking at your story right now in the Daily News Journal. Uh, Joe actually brought it up to me shortly before the show started. Uh, can you just elaborate on the situation? It looks like we've got three MTSU football players are caught pawning their bowl rings. and It appears to be kind of like a secondary violation. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting because it kind of happened in 2017 and uh, marketing assistant actually found out um, uh, in early 2018, kind of figured out they kind of saw it on eBay um, and they kind of searched us out. Right, they went into the compliance, kind of investigating it. And all right, they kind of figured it out. All right. This, it, it wasn't intentional at all. Um, if you kind of read the story, it's kind of like um, someone that kind of had problems, kind of paid rent. So they kind of pawned it off thinking it's like, Oh, it's my property, but they're still, prospective student athletes so can't really do that so they were kind of temporarily ineligible before it kind of went through everything um they had to make a payment uh, kind of repay the the value of the bull rings and um they're reinstated so this is a secondary violation uh level three which is typically normally doesn't um uh, uh involve any major penalties so that's kind of how it went um that story is kind of uh it was kind of interesting when i first figured i saw that i was like all right so and I've never, uh, I mean, I've, you've always heard about like these student athletes, like getting like a, a awards or benefits or getting tattoos, but this is kind of, it's kind of a, a mistake by the, the, the kids part. They kind of didn't know about it. So, um, and the, uh, the NCAA, uh, NTSU did their investigation and kind of went to the NCAA and said, Hey, um, they didn't know, um, uh, this is going to happen. So, um, and the NCAA said, okay. And they reinstated them and they did not miss any time this past year. Can I ask a clarifying question on that? Mm-hmm. They gave them to a, a pawn shop and then someone bought them and put it on eBay. Is that how it went down? Well, it's funny because I've never been to a pawn shop, actually. Um, I was kind of asking because they had a, a lot of times, like 30 days. Like, it's kind of a loaner thing. Yeah, It's kind of like a take out a loan to get 30 days. And after the 30 days, you don't pick it up within that time. They kind of take it. Uh, they kind of claim it. So that's how I went. So the, the kids didn't go back. 
uh, within the allotted time to reacquire those rings. So that's where it kind of went. Um, and they, um, the pawn shop kind of put it on eBay because it became their property after a lot of time. It's kind of an interesting situation as well. It's like, all right, I kind of had to get the lowdown how kind of pawn shops work. Gotcha. So yeah. Kind of, yeah. That makes sense then. I thought for a second there, I thought they just straight up put it on eBay themselves. And I was like, that's no. the quick. Yeah. Okay. That makes more sense then. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a unique situation. I mean, I, I I'd only been to a pawn shop one time in my life, and I, I still am not nuanced in you know pawn shop technology, uh, the pawn shop technicality. So, uh, it's, uh, thanks for clarification. Me neither. Uh, yeah, me neither. I needed the clarification too. Um, so I was uh, asking around. All right, uh, that actually makes sense. <laughs> so it wasn't like they let's put it up there at all. Exactly. So, you know, kind of fast forward looking into next year, uh, Luis, like Joe mentioned earlier, you know, he and I were kind of we had our expectations kind of tempered as far as MTSU goes, not to say that they couldn't have been a bowl team when you have a talented quarterback like Brent Stockstill, but, uh, and I don't have our, our predictions from last year right in front of me, but I think both Joe and I had them maybe at the six win team tops and obviously they exceeded that. So what would be reasonable expectations for this club next year, given the fact that they did lose such an accomplished player in Brent Stockstill? I think um, kind of around that number, six or seven wins, um, especially there again, it's uh, MTSU is always uh, they have three power five teams again this year. Um, they open the season at Michigan. Uh, they have Duke at home, which has been a, a home and home series. Uh, it's been scheduled for a number of years and they go at Iowa. I mean, those are three of your first four games of the year. And last year, they um, one play. Um, they lost two guys uh, against Georgia. They lost two guys for the year on one play. Um these are, of course, Conference USA uh, guys and not SEC guys, so it's a little bit different. Um, but there's, I'm going to give you this six-game stretch that MTSU has um, this uh, uh, this coming year. Um, six these six games: Duke at Iowa, Marshall at FAU, at North Texas, at North Texas, and versus FIU. That six-week stretch is going to define the season. There's a bye week after that Duke game, but you can't tell me there's another, there's another Conference USA team that has to go through that, a gauntlet like that. Um, and it's three Power Five teams again. Um, of course, they'll make $3.15 million um, for, pl- for playing Michigan and Iowa. But, of course, you got three, <laughs> three Power Five teams, and injuries are probably going to happen in, in those games because you're uh, playing against bigger, faster, stronger guys. Um, so I think another year, if they can kind of – survive that six or seven game stretch the schedule at the end of the year kind of gets a little little lighter charlotte rice old dominion and western kentucky to finish out the season so they can kind of navigate that six game stretch and maybe they can possibly maybe beat a duke at home and kind of split those games against marshall fau north texas and fiu i think you kind of see another six or seven win season um because of those three power five schools and of course it's all about staying healthy um that's a kind of a, a good um, grasp of kind of how the 2019 season is going to go for me, um, uh, for MTSU. Joe, what do you think about that six-game stretch? Because I didn't even realize I hadn't, to be honest with you, I hadn't looked that hard at MTSU's schedule. But that, Lewis made a great point. That's, that's a heck of a six-game stretch. That's real tough, yeah. I think, you know, if they can come away with like – you know, two, three wins, I think that's kind of my expectation there, especially when they're in – a rebuilding year like I feel like they're gonna be in next year at least so yeah Lewis makes a great point in that that six game stretch is gonna you know (laughs) 
not for the you're not going to find a tougher one in the conference. I'll tell you that. Exactly. You have Duke. Uh, Duke. You had the the first one was Duke, and then you have a bye week, and then you go Iowa at Iowa, and then here comes Marshall. Here come, you're on the road back to back weeks. FAU and North Texas before you're hosting FIU. It's yeah, it's kind of yeah. Uh, Rick Stockson and Co. kind of you know, tough uh, tough predicament um, on that end. Uh, they're in that six game stretch, but I think they can probably beat Duke at home. Kind of sets them up um, after that bye week, and he tries games, those conference games to start the year. I mean, you open the conference slate against Marshall. Marshall uh, uh, over here at MTSC, there's been some crazy games over the last uh, number of years, the last few matchups, so you never know. So kind of finish up with you really quick. You know, uh, Joe is a Western Kentucky guy, and obviously I, I cover FIU. So we're kind of covering the range of Conference USA towns and we're there in Murfreesboro. Um, what is your favorite CUSA town outside of your home base there? I mean, last year uh, I went to Charlotte and went to San Antonio, and obviously you can't beat cities like that. Charlotte, just I was amazed. That was my first time actually visiting Charlotte, and I was amazed with how beautiful and how clean the city was as well as the campus there. But what's your favorite stop on the uh, CUSA tour outside of your home base there? This might be a little surprising, but I'm not going to say Miami because um, being from Florida, been there plenty of times um, when we went to the travel to FI, FIU. I'm actually going to say uh, El Paso. Um, I really enjoyed my time at UTEP. I was uh, really hoping, well, this conference USA, of course, I had a chance to go to Athens and New Orleans for the bowl game and a couple other ones. But um, CUSA-wise, I really enjoyed my time in El Paso. Uh, great food, great people. I got off the plane and just the air just smelled a lot different for some reason to me. Maybe it's because you're 3,500 feet above sea level compared to me being from Florida where you're at sea level and it's a little bit higher over here in, in Murfreesboro. But I really enjoyed my time in El Paso, actually. Um, the Orlando Sound Sports Editor that I freelanced for, she actually grew up in El Paso. So she gave me all these recommendations. which really helped me and had a great time there. Um, I was hoping, I, I wish I could say another, uh, another day or two to kind of explore a little bit more of the, of the town. Um, it's kind of fun. It's kind of crazy. If you guys ever have a chance or ever been to El Paso, UTEP's press box, you start looking at basically on a mountain, you look to your right and you see, uh, uh, Mexico. So it's kind of an interesting site. Um, and I really enjoyed my time there. Uh, Norfolk, uh, my sister actually lives in Norfolk. So it's kind of, uh, kind of, and her husband uh, is in the Navy and he works on the base. So it was kind of uh, cool exploring uh, a little bit of Norfolk, especially spending time with my family there. But um, I'll tell you, man, El Paso was great. It's that desert. Have there. you been built up We got talked over each other. Go ahead, Eric. <laughs> no, no, no. I was asking if you've ever been to El Paso before, but go ahead. Have I ever been to El Paso? No. Yeah. But uh, no, it's, it's really unique. I've only been one time, not, not for a game or anything. I just been, uh, I've been passing through and it is, it is really unique. I'm actually kind of curious. You mentioned the, uh, the Sun Bowl press box. I live in Mexico, but yeah, it, it's, it's a really cool town. Mm-hmm. Hey man, it's great food too. Oh man. The food, if you, if you, if you want authentic Mexican cuisine, I mean, you're only about 20 minutes from the border too. So, I mean, it's just the influence has gone, it just goes over um, there and it was just great. Um, I just love the food, man. It was uh, fantastic. Went to a, a place after the game and got to see at the bar and just, it was just talk to the people. I was just talking to uh, everybody. It was so friendly, uh, friendly there. And it was just a uh, great, uh, had a, just a great time, great experience there. Mm. Sounds good, man. No, it's the it's that clean like desert air. I lived in like the southern part of Colorado for a little bit, so I got a little bit of that like high desert feel. But yeah, I I totally get what you mean. Like right when you're in that part of the country, it's like just feel your lungs like fill with like 
just that good crisp air you know what i mean it's it's just so nice like not being in like a you know full-on city for a minute yeah, it's the first thing I noticed when I stepped, uh, stepped outside of the airport. I was like, this, this smell, the air quality is a lot different here. And it was um, it's kind of, like you said, it's kind of refreshing in a way. Um, being from uh, to, uh, from Florida and Kissimmee and Orlando mm-hmm. and over here in Rutherford County and Murfreesboro uh, compared to El Paso, Texas. While I've got you on the line, so I'll be making the, uh, the journey to that part of the country, that neck of the woods this year. Uh, what are your recommendations uh, to get into uh, out there in Murfreesboro? And Murfreesboro, when they talk about great food, um, there's a lot of good food places, local food places around here. If you're if you're kind of a history buff um, as well, we kind of have a, a national park here, uh, battle, uh, a national battlefield, Stones River uh, Battlefield Park. Um, they can uh, check out. I actually went there for the first time a few weeks ago. I found, found some time, had a couple of visitors. Um, if you're a history buff, it's a good place to uh, go to. And you're not that far away from Nashville either. Um, if you want to take out MTSU's campus, try to see if you can come um well, you'll be here for, uh, I guess you, um, you'll be here for the game. So um, definitely uh, hit me up on, we can go go around. Um, I can show you around a little Murfreesboro. Uh, Nashville's also not that far away. If you uh, find some time to hit up Nashville and hit up Broadway. Uh, most definitely. I mean, I know Joe's familiar with that neck of the woods being a, uh, a Western Kentucky guy. So it'll be my, my first trip into uh, that area. It's a great area, man. Have you ever, you never been to Nashville, Eric? Really? No, I've, I've never, I've never had a reason to go to Nashville. Actually, I mean, I've, I've been through the South. Like, I've been to Athens. Athens is a really cool town. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, Charlotte is cool, but I've never actually been to Tennessee in general. Um, so yeah, I have never been to Nashville. So uh, it'll be, it'll be, uh, it'd be interesting. You can enjoy your first trip over here. I can tell you now. Joe, you say that, and I take it you have been to Nashville. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, yeah, with with where you know bg and in kentucky is it's right there and then obviously just been there a few times over the course of my life but i don't know i feel like it's just a pretty popular destination especially for someone who grew up on the east coast no i mean that's that, that's probably fair i mean i i think it's something that i'll i'll look forward to and like i said hopefully i'll have the time to hit it up to kind of see what the whole music city vibe is all about so sounds good all right bring your cowboys <laughs> yeah yeah exactly I, I know where you were going with that joe i know where you were going with that <laughs> hey Luis, thanks for taking the time man appreciate it man. hey guys appreciate it thanks for the invite again all right, i think that's going to do it for this week on the underdog podcast absolutely want to thank our guest once again Luis torres uh go follow him on twitter at l-f-t-o-r-r-e-s-i-i-i he is the uh, mtsu beat reporter for the daily news journal in rutherford county tennessee um you can follow myself on twitter at j-o-e-h-i-o underscore eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore, and of course, follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter and like us on Facebook for more G5 football goodness throughout the year. Uh, With that, I will say thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show on iTunes, leave us a review, and all that good stuff. We'll talk to you next week. Happy football watching, everybody.